Take your copy of God's Word, would you, would, would you please, and turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, we concluded our study in 1 John 4 verses 7 through 12 last week, noting that love for one another, just like God's love for us, isn't self-centered love. It's others-centered It's not self-serving, it's others-serving. It's not selfish love, it's selfless love. And that's because the fruit of the Spirit is first of all love. And this is the kind of love that God demonstrates toward us. Here's the kind of love that God shows to us. While we were still sinners... Rejecting and fighting against God, Jesus died for us. Jesus willingly gave himself for us. He willingly became the sacrifice for our sins. We're coming back to the passage that we began last Sunday to look again at verse 12. In verse 12, John returns to the idea that people who are God's children, people who have confessed their sin and believed in Jesus for salvation, for forgiveness of sins, they've never seen God, but God should be seen in them, in how they love one another. Let's look at verse 12 again. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So believers in Jesus Christ who love one another are bearing evidence by their love of the presence of the Holy Spirit in God's people. So we've come full circle in the text from where John said in verses 7 and 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So the purpose of this section of verses, verses 7 through 12, the purpose is to point to the kind of love that's possible and expected of God's children. We're seeing here the kind of love God intends for us to demonstrate toward each other in the church. The kind of love that the world should see and recognize and take note of. Because it's not of this world, it's of God. And John's purpose is to point to the fact that this is how people on earth who have never seen God are to see God today. God intends for the world to see Not his physical presence, but his presence nonetheless in the way he is changing his children. Seen in the fact that they are learning how to love each other. And verse 12 points to this truth. No one has ever seen God. How could we see God? God is spirit. John 4.24 reminds us that God's God is spirit. Paul also describes the invisible God this way in 1 Timothy 1.17, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God. 
that God is spirit is also seen in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 16, where Paul writes of God, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. So no one has ever seen God. But God still makes himself known. And God intends to make himself known in a very special way. He wants to make himself known through the lives of you who have believed in Jesus Christ. This is one way God chooses to make himself known. He wants to be made known in the lives of the people who call him Father, who have looked to the Son for forgiveness of sins who have trusted in Jesus Christ, who are brothers and sisters in Christ, who have Christ in them, who walk with the Lord. Those people, God wants to show the world himself through them. Now, how can God be known through you? How can God be known through the people of First Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Michigan? One way God intends to be known is through the people who make up this body of Christ and the, and the world uh, watching us, seeing the love that God's children have for one another, seeing the love that we have for one another grow and flourish and, and become more godly and Christ-like. That's what John is pointing to in verse 12. If we love one another. Look at it again. It's, it's important that we look at this and think about this. If we love one another. If. That's a little word, but it's a big word, if. You know what that means? The implication is it's possible not to. But if we do, if we learn this, if we grow in Christ's likeness in this way, if we learn to love one another, if we love one another, look at verse 12. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is why I wanted to come back to just this verse today. To think carefully about what we're learning here. To think carefully about what God is saying to us in the pages of our Bibles. One of the reasons God gives us in the Bible for why we are to love one another is so that the world who is watching us, watching how we live, watching how we treat one another, will see God. We'll see Him clearly in the way that we're learning how to love one another. Listen to the way the New Living Translation puts 1 John 4.12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. Consider this powerful truth in verse 12 that God intends to fully express his love for mankind through his people. Through his people. He sent his son to be his physical representation on earth, to live a sinless life, to go to the cross, and to display before the world the depths of his love for mankind. And then Jesus was buried, and then he rose from the dead. 
to show us that he could conquer sin and death and hell and the grave. And then he ascended into heaven. And then he sent his spirit to live in his people. And now his people live here on earth and we're instructed by the Bible to learn to love each other because this is one of the ways that God has chosen to make himself known to the world so that the world would see him. This is one of the reasons we're to love one another so that the world will see God. Not physically see him, but see him through us. Note also that John points to where this love in God's people comes from. We noted this last Sunday. This love for others is not self-initiated. It doesn't begin with us. It does grow in us. It is supposed to be something that we pursue in obedience, but it doesn't begin with us. This actually ought to give us hope when we find it hard to love. There's hope for us when we don't get this right because it doesn't really start with us. This love for others is not self-initiated. It is God-initiated. And because this love is love that God grows in his children, we have the full resources of God. That's why it's wrong for us to say, I just can't love that person. Well, you can't with your own resources. But if you're a child of God, you're not limited to your resources. You have God's resources to help you learn to love that person whom you think you can't love. I wonder how many people say that about us. I can't love them. Sometimes we think that it all depends on what I can do, what I can think, the the things that I can devise, the plans that I can plan, the the things that I can carry out, the, the schemes that I can scheme. And I have tried everything I can, and I can't love that person. And yet, God tells us to look to the Son and look at His perfect love and realize that God the Spirit is living in you, and if you proclaim the name of Christ, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, not only has he forgiven your sins and saved you for all of eternity, but he's moved in and taken up residence to give you the strength and the wisdom and the help to love as he loves you. We have the full resources of God on which we must depend for his love to be perfected in us, to grow in us, for the world to see God in us. This love is initiated by the Holy Spirit. It is confirmation also of our salvation. And it grows and flourishes as we do our part, as we obey God's word. That reminds us that, yes, God grows this love in his children. It's initiated by God. It begins with him, but yet it doesn't end with him. We must obey. We must pursue obedience. It reminds us that God grows this love in his children, but if you're a child of God, you are also called to obey God's word and take steps of obedience to pursue love toward 
your brothers and sisters in Christ, pursuing, learning to love like Christ. This love will not grow in you, and there will be nothing to overflow from your life if you are not pursuing obedience to God's Word. That's why we hear Paul write this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. To put it in one word, it's called Obedience to God's word. Obedience. And Paul goes on to say this in Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, being imitators of God means you pursue bringing the truth of the word to bear on your life day by day. Being in the word yourself, reading the scriptures for yourselves between Sundays, not just on Sundays, but between Sundays, asking God to change you, to to grow you, to teach you how to love as Christ loves us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And as we grow in this, we become a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God that the world takes note of and sees God in us. That's by God's design. Being imitators of God means you pursue bringing the truth of God's word to bear on your way of life, on your living, on your thinking, on your speaking, seeking to please God with your obedience, not to earn salvation. That's paid for by Christ, but to please the Lord and bring glory to him and show the world what God looks like. Your love for one another becomes more Christ-like when you obey the word of God. And God by the power of his spirit, helps you more and more demonstrate the love of Christ as you take willing and joyful steps of obedience to God's word. John's word in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 5 is, again, a good reminder, but whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. It's like, yes, when you take steps of obedience to God's word, God grows his love in you. He is perfecting, he is growing his love in you, by this we may know that we are in him. It's a, it's a work of assurance also to see that as I take steps of obedience, I, I see myself changing in ways that I know I could not have done on my own. He also points to this truth in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome they're not burdensome to people who love the Lord Jesus Christ they might be challenging at times but we want to please the Lord we want to recognize that Jesus paid it all all to him I owe God's love is being perfected it's being shown in his children when his children obey his word But we have a problem. 
Our problem is what John notes back in chapter 2. Instead of loving one another as we should, we tend to think like the world that we live in. In the sinful systems of the world, we tend to think in, in realms of human way of thinking instead of God's way of thinking. Instead of loving one another as we should, we think like the world, that that perfect love is found, real joy is found, real happiness is found in pursuing the things that you can see and obtain and touch, the things that you can work for and earn, the things that you can see and pursue, the things that make us feel good, the things that we think will satisfy us and the And the Bible calls that the pursuits of the flesh, which we're to be putting off as God's children. The lusts of the flesh, instead of pursuing the faith and love with which God promises to satisfy us, and the rich, rich, the, the wonderful riches of God's love, which God promises to satisfy us with, we tend to pursue the fleshly things, the worldly things, the things that we can see, touch, hear, feel. Following fleshly pursuits, loving the world and the things of the world is all, it's all a trap. It's an illusion to allow love for the things of the world to take the place of living out the love of God, which he has placed and seeks to grow in his children. That's why we hear John say this back in chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. There's a powerful reminder here that goes along with our passage in verse 12 this morning. That if we... If we neglect our responsibility to grow in love for one another, in fact, instead of showing God to the world, we show something else to the world. We show a distorted vision of God. The world does not see the God who gave his son to sacrifice for their sins. The world does not see a God who promises to meet all their needs, their true needs in Christ and in his grace and mercy the world gets a distorted vision of who God is when his people love the world and the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That means the overflow of the love of the Father does not come from that person. If you want to learn to love as God intends for you to learn to love, then you must not allow the false promises of this world to take the place of God's perfect promises, God's perfect love. Falling for Satan's lie is an energy-sapping, perfect, love-defeating trap. And the implication here in 1 John 4.12 is that being entrapped in the pursuit of what the flesh desires will kill your testimony to the watching world, will kill our testimony as a church in this community. And so God calls us to pursue wholeheartedly 
the love that he promises to initiate and grow in his children. And God promises that whoever does the will of God abides forever. You have God's assurance that you are his. And if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. It's growing in us. It's showing through our lives. God promises to grow his love in our lives and he promises assurance that we are his. You see, obedience to God's word is the only way to live out God's perfect love. That's why we need the scriptures. We ought not neglect the scriptures. We need to pour the word of God into our hearts and minds and lives and take steps to obey God day by day. Now, what might this look like in the church? I shared this in closing last Sunday, but I want to emphasize this again because it's so important, I think. It's a fitting illustration of what the perfecting of God's love looks like in God's obedient children who are learning how to love. It's summed up very clearly in a list that I shared with you last week by pastor and author Tabiti Anyobile. He shares in his book, What is a Healthy Church Member? It's a powerful reminder, I think, of what what this love looks like. What does it look like to love as Christ loves the church? What does it look like for God's people to, to love one another and learn to love one another? In the chapter on committed church members, he says, what this looks like is that the mark of a Christian discipleship is love. The, the mark of Christian discipleship is love. Love of the kind that Jesus exercised toward his followers. Love visible enough that men will recognize it as belonging to those people who follow Jesus. And then he suggests what this looks like in the lives of God's children who are living out the love of Christ toward one another. And these are very helpful points, I think, because we tend to think in limited terms when it comes to loving others. Anya Buile contends that God's children living out the love of God toward one another looks like believers who attend church regularly. You might not think of that as an act of love toward your brothers and sisters in Christ. But think of this. He says, because we need to be present and known, and we need to know others and be active in the church to make Christian love possible. We need to meet together regularly. The Bible teaches us that. Hebrews tells us, do not neglect. Do not neglect gathering together to meet for the reading of scriptures, for the proclamation of the word, for the fellowship, for building one another up in Christ. If you're supposed to learn how to love God's family, you've got to know who God's family is. You've got to get to know them. He also says they also seek peace. A committed church member, a member who truly loves is committed to the maintenance of peace in the congregation. A person who is seeking peace will practice the the charge from Paul in Ephesians 4, verses 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. 
He says they also edify others. The one consistent purpose or goal of the public meeting of the church is mutual edification, building each other up in the faith. A healthy and committed member comes to serve, not to be served, like Jesus, to provide, not to be a consumer only. You see, that's the love of God being perfected, being seen, being clearly demonstrated in his children. We're to build one another up, not tear each other down. And the committed believer loves and looks for ways to build up their brother or sister in Christ. Again, in Ephesians, Paul addresses this when he tells the church that God gives the church pastors for the purpose of instructing the church to do this. Listen to Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waters and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. By God's design, God's intent is, by God's design, the church builds itself up when it seeks to edify one another, when God's people are pursuing maturity in Christ and aren't content with just pursuing it themselves, they want God's church, the other members of the body, to pursue maturity in Christ. And we encourage that. God's church grows and is strengthened when believers actively seek to love each other in obedience to God's word. And closely related to edifying one another, Helping one another grow in Christ is when believers also lovingly warn and admonish each other. And now, you know, we think that doesn't sound very fun. But let's not get the wrong idea here. This is not to be an in-your-face, over-the-top, both-barrels-of-the-shotgun kind of (laughs) confrontation. Anya Buile writes of faithful church members that they warn and admonish each other, meaning they are committed to speaking the truth in love to their brothers and sisters, helping them avoid pitfalls and encouraging them in holiness and Christian joy. For those of you who are in the adult Sunday school hour this morning, this sounds familiar, doesn't it? Because this is the message of the Word of God. You find cues to this throughout Scripture. There will likely be days when each of us needs the loving reminder of a brother or sister in Christ, a word of correction in love with the wisdom of God's Word brought to bear in our lives. We're all going to need this from time to time. We need encouragement from time to time. There are times we're going to need correction. Truth from God's Word when we need it most. 
But it doesn't stop there. He also says, again, we're talking about what does this kind of love look like lived out in the life of the church and the body of Christ and God's people. They pursue reconciliation. A committed member strives to repair breaches as quickly as possible, even before continuing in public worship. That That's what we see in Matthew chapter 5 and verses 23 and 24. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You see, what's more important to God is not the gift. It's the attitude of the heart. It's it's where our desires are. Do we want to please him with our whole life or are we just going through the motions by bringing a big gift? They pursue reconciliation. Learning to love means that you do not let a day pass if there's a fracture in a relationship. If there's a difficulty between you and a brother or sister in Christ, you don't let a day pass. Don't wait for the other person to make the first move. No matter who you think is at fault, they're likely thinking you're at fault. Go. Pursue peace. Do all you can do to bring reconciliation. Our God is a reconciling God. He reconciles himself to us. Even while we were his enemies, go and pursue peace, pursue reconciliation, which points to another characteristic of those in whom God is perfecting his love. They bear with others. When we pursue reconciliation, we must be patient and long-suffering. We must be characterized by meekness such that we do not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. It's also known as humility. Also, he goes on to say, they prepare for the ordinances. You, you think, well, the ordinances, what do, what do the ordinances have to do with loving each other in the church? He says, baptism and communion are privileges that give us visible proclamations of the good news that Christ died for sinners and rose again to eternal life. Believers live out the love of Christ when they rejoice at the baptism of new believers and they examine their heart in preparation for joining the family of God at the Lord's table. Those are special reminders to us of the love of Christ for his church. And they're special even more so when we gather together to celebrate them together. And he says they support the work of the ministry. Those whose aim is to live out the perfecting of God's love in them give resources, time, and talent to the advancement of the gospel in the local church. They live out the Bible's call to be the body of Christ. This should be a challenge to us all. This really should stretch us, this verse 12, and the thoughts that, that we gather from the text and, and the word and surrounding passages and the goodness of God to give us instruction from his word, this ought to be a challenge to us and stretch us. And this should help us to see fresh, a fresh picture, a fresh vision of what truly loving believers look like. 
May our prayer always be that we never stop pursuing this. May our prayer always be that we never stop learning how to love one another like Christ loves us, His church. It is for our own good. And it's for God's glory. As this is how, as we learn from the text, it's one of the ways how God intends to show the world Himself. That the world might see God in God's people. I'll paraphrase 1 John 4.12 like this. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and God will be seen through the evidence of his love growing in our lives.